This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. So, who do we have as the first guest of this fabulous 2022 uh, podcast season? I hope it's a fabulous 2022. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, 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 I shudder to be like, you know, I'm not really optimistic anymore. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> so I, I like your optimism. <laughs> I hope... I hope. I hope that we keep it together as a planet. This is like my new, right. uh, yeah, I know. I hope so. No, no, no large continental scale disasters for 220. <laughs> when you as long adjust as, it, uh, right. As long as we don't lose someone to the ocean, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> as long as the frogs don't start raining down or something. Right. Like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So who's on the podcast today? <laughs> well, uh, on the podcast today is uh, uh, James DeMuth. And James is uh, the founder of Surat Technologies. And Surat uh, is, well, it's a complete new technology, actually, that, that takes uh, two million different points of light that are all controllable to illuminate an area of a print bed. Uh, so it's akin to powder bed fusion, but instead of the laser tracing around a shape, it can illuminate at different intensities across the entire powder bed uh, simultaneously at one point. So it should potentially be able to speed up uh, metal printing considerably while maintaining the same accuracy that you would get from regular powder bed fusion. So it's potentially very revolutionary, but it seems like it would be very difficult to implement this technology. So, so, so it's a very, uh, yeah, potentially very, very exciting uh, thing, really. So uh, welcome to the show, uh, James. Terrific. Thank you for having me and happy new year. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy new year to you too. So, so first off, tell us a little bit about what you guys have called like area printing or Surat's process, right? It came out of a Lawrence Livermore uh, kind of diode laser project. It was a long, long time ago where it seemed to be the first time I heard about it. It seemed to be kind of a very moonshot kind of thing, <laughs> to be honest. And and now, you guys, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and now you guys are, are taking this and commercializing this. So tell us a little bit more how about, about how it works. Yeah, terrific. Well, you know, it, that is right. It did start off as a diode additive manufacturing, and that's still a, a big part of it, actually. The initial idea was, you know, we're, we stem from Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, a.k.a. lasers, lasers, nothing but lasers. There's a <laughs> lot of experience working with manipulating, shaping, forming these really high power lasers. And to make a high power laser, you first have to manipulate, shape, and form these high powered diode laser arrays. There's the pump source, right? That's a diode pump solid state lasers is sort of the next big thing. So first you got to shape the diodes, which are like effectively like flashlights compared to a quote unquote laser. And then you use those to pump the gain media of the laser itself. Um, this is what the National Ignition Facility does, or what the next gen of it will do. And then you can actually generate the laser. So a lot of experience shaping these high-powered diode lasers. Diodes are cheap, um, and they have the potential to be incredibly cheap. They have scaling that is you know, Moore's Law equivalent in the fact that they are semiconductor-based. They can, you know, when we look at as the volume increases of diode lasers, you have a huge potential for price reduction 
Now this will be passed on to the lasers themselves, fiber lasers, uh, diode pump solid state lasers and the like. But, you know, if you can get rid of all the extra stuff, wouldn't that be fantastic? And, you know, that was the initial idea is let's use these cheap diode lasers and do incredibly scalable additive manufacturing. Well, there were some issues. Um, so, uh, <laughs> just to put it lightly, yeah, uh, diode lasers are relatively low intensity. It's hard to get the right brightness. And that means you, it's hard to get it focused to the right intensities on the powder layer. And when, if you don't have enough intensity, you melt the powder, but the base is still ice cold, relatively speaking. Right. Um, and so you're not, you, you're not fusing as a result. You end up with a bunch of BBs that are right. rolling around on top of the, uh, a solid steel surface, right. If you're printing steel. So. Uh, we were like, ah, crap, that's not, that's not going to work. Um, you know, the original idea was that we were going to take a massive amount of diode lasers. We were going to apply a big pattern to them. So blend them, take these lasers, just millions of diode lasers. We were going to blend them together, create one big uniform beam, which is like what you do for pumping a, a, a diode pump solid state laser. And then we apply a pattern to it. And then you project that down to the platform. And the idea was originally uh, print the whole layer all at once. Whoop. Right, right. You know, okay. kind of like what you see, uh, you know, Carbon 3D. The doing resin with, printer. With, with resin 3D. Yeah, and others right, like that. So, right. um, Everybody was doing this. It's not just your team, right? There was like oh, across the world, there were several people doing exactly the same idea. It was like this this holy grail kind of thing, right? Right. It's It's just how do you actually... Yeah, so do how do you it. actually do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of taking a, a note from laser pattern fusion today, if you really look at microscope and slow time down and look at the process there, you see that in order to micro weld the powder to the substrate below it, you need to wet the substrate. The substrate, the top surface of the substrate needs to melt. The diodes by themselves just weren't enough to do it. So uh, problem um, that needed solving. So, you know, we've seen... We have not yet seen a different solution for this. Um, and the solution we had was diodes are cheap. Diode pump solid state lasers are expensive. But if you could have the balance of energy right, you could put the majority of your energy in the diode lasers, heat everything up to the melting temperature, get it almost there, and then put in just the last little bit of energy really fast so it can melt the substrate before it has a chance to cool, get it wet. When everything is wetted, then uh, you have the the powder melt and time it just right. So it all happens at the same time before the powder, before the powder can pull itself together into little BBs and roll around on the right. plate. It's almost yeah, like a flash on a camera, if you will. Like yeah, you have the camera exactly. lens open and you're like doing it and then you go whoosh. Yeah, there's like extra. A, a preheat and a flash. Right. <laughs> okay. And then, and, and so essentially like that would also mean for quite a complicated machine. That's what I'm, I'm thinking that all of a sudden, Whoa, your kind of simple idea becomes a complex one that may work, right? It definitely becomes more complicated, but it turns out that because we are scaling in this way, the 2D scaling, um, these lasers get fantastic economies of scale. And what you look into when you really un try and understand why, why do we care about this? Why are you doing this? Well, single laser systems or multi-laser systems, their scaling curve is abysmal. Um, it's, I wouldn't call it quite square root scaling, but it basically, it peters out. You don't get linear scaling or nonlinear or anything like that. It's just, it, it gets worse and worse and worse. Diminishing returns, right? Um, you add more lasers, it gets more complicated. Uh, you have to do more intense path planning. You can't use each laser as efficiently as if it was just by itself and thus diminishing returns with every additional laser. So by doing area printing, we just 
essentially crank up the power, the area gets bigger. Um, and we can control the resolution because we actually build our own powdering devices. So we can dial in whatever resolution we want, whatever power we want. And the scaling curve is, is effectively linear. Actually, it's better than linear because you get economies of scale as you get bigger. So it actually gets cheaper for us on a per kilo basis as we get bigger. And we don't suffer any of the, you know, adding more laser effect uh, that hurts LPBF today. So we can see fantastic growth, which is what's exciting. So are you still doing though that original concept of where you're, you have these diode lasers covering basically the build plate and then this other laser, forgive me, I can't remember the second term for the, the non-diode lasers, but coming in and flashing it, you flat, they're flashing the whole build plate essentially, or the area which you're trying to actually melt in one go. Does that make it fast as well? Yeah, no. Um, no. Okay. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> and I understand how you got there. So, yeah, essentially, it's essentially, the you know when you look at it, if you f- just think about the duty cycle, right? If you flash an entire layer all at once, great, you just printed the whole layer, and you just spent a ton of money in capital equipment to make those giant lasers, right? Um, and install them, <laughs> and now you got to wait for the powder to be recoded, and. Uh. The, the difference in time, it's like three orders of magnitude, at least between how long it takes to print the layer and how long it takes to recoat. And the bigger your print area, the worse it gets. Because um, it takes the same amount of time to illuminate it, it just takes longer to recoat. So what you end up, when you go through sort of a systems analysis, you end up finding that it's more beneficial to illuminate a relatively small area lower your capital equipment cost. Essentially, you're exposing that area like you would, you know, a camera image. Um, and then you move to the next one, you expose that one and repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, today, we're doing it at 40 uh, exposures per second or 40 shots per second. And we have a roadmap to get up to 4,000 shots per second and increase our energy in the process. So you can see there's incredible scalability there. And, uh, and that's kind of how we're, we're able to drive our prices down. And, okay, so that's really interesting. I like that as, as well because I have the, the joke is always like, well, if somebody points to a three, uh, like a, a powder by a fusion machine, what is that? It's like, well, what does that do? It's like it mostly sits still, and then when it's not sitting still, it recoats, right? So we, <laughs> we, have, we have these machines that cost like a million dollars, and it's really hard to make money from like just one if it's like a million dollars. Um, and then if you run it. Like even if you would run it continually, it's 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 almost impossible to make money off of it. And one of the reasons is because the utilization rate of the machine isn't very high. Some of them take a really long time to to cool down and rebuild. And just generally, yeah, it's recoding like either two thirds of the time or just a significant amount of its time is spent recoding. Yeah, our our philosophy is that the laser should always be firing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Period. do you recode in 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 tandem with that, or how does that work? That's the target. Um... You know, we're 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 working on how do you how do you make that happen? The general thought is you essentially you spread a layer of powder, and while you're spreading it, you start printing what you already spread. Um, and as soon as you finish spreading, you can actually uh, you can retract. You can jump over the spreader while you do that. Um, controls are that's easy. Um, I say it's easy. Our controls team is like all you got to do, right? Um, but, <laughs> The uh, then you essentially start printing the next layer or start spreading the next layer while you finish printing the previous. Um, and so right. you know, maybe you skip a shot or two, but it's pretty, um, it's pretty much always on. 
Now that, that's that's one way to do it. The other way is just to have uh, multiple chambers and be you know essentially swapping between the two. But the, that's less yeah. ideal. Yeah, like the, that's, and the, and, the, and Trump, not our focus. Like the Trump thing. Yeah, kind of from one side to the next side of the Trump thing. I I would love somebody to come up with a recording system where you just like you drop all the powder from like the ceiling, if you will, just at the same time. And just like oh, and flat, it, like, and just flatten it in it. the air. No, 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 just, no, just flatten it. Just drop it all. Just drop one layer simultaneously and just flatten it. Uh, just using air, and then and then drop another one. You know, something like that. Yeah. Draw, like recoat the layer in, in, in its entirety in one go. I would love to see that happen. I don't know how feasible it is with the packing and stuff, but it would be amazing. Maybe in vacuum. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna well, say, probably have a vacuum. Be a right? yeah. You probably have a vacuum anyway, right? Or not? We do not. No. Oh, okay. Okay. We 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 can, we we have lots of knobs where we can test out different environments, but right um, yeah. at the moment we are actually not printing in vacuum. Really? Hmm. Oh wow! So like, do you really like fire? No. What, what what's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> you have a giant laser. You're pointing it at metal. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, okay, you're doing stainless steel, so then it's okay, kind of. I guess we're 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 doing stainless steel. That's correct. Okay. Okay. We we, we we can we can go we can manipulate our machine to go to different pressures, but at the moment yeah. we're we, is, we, is we, the, we, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go for it. What were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say we joke. We today we're you know we say hey we can print any material you want as long as it's three sixteen L stainless steel. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know that that's we're, we're essentially we we've started in steel. We see this as a capability to print any material that can melt. So a lot of other materials that are more sensitive, i.e. titanium, right? Um, we're gonna have a you know we're gonna need to make sure we have the right controls in place to control the uh, various other oxidation that's going on in the yeah, environment. Cause the, right. Yeah, nothing loves fire just quite as much as titanium. Uh, like um, we're not well, few things, but um, wait, but what, this is really funny. I think this is a discussion I've had so many times with customers where they're like, we're hearing from the customer that they would buy our machine if only we could do TI sixty four or whatever, right? And then the next thing, the next development cycle, it's like, hey, we're hearing from the customer they want this weird aluminum grade, you know? And it's very, very difficult to, as a machine manufacturer go, you know, do we always listen to the customer and then actually spend our whole development team is going to be diverted to essentially making more and more different materials, right? Rather than improving the fundamental system. You know, and it would be interesting for somebody to just say, no, look, 316L steel, there's a lot of things in this world that are 316L steel. We're just going to do this. You know, we're only going to stick to this material just because of the volume. Yeah. Well, I wish we could take that hard of approach, but sadly, yeah. we, uh, we 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 also use the phrase "we're coin operated." So when we have a customer <laughs> saying they want something, uh, you know, if if there's a if there's enough uh, forcing function in that direction, um, we'll we'll help them explore that. So what's the what's the fundamental advantage of this technology? Then is is it purely the scalability and a reduction in cost? Is it is there more? Oh yeah, I mean that's that's what kind of makes it a little bit of a tough story to tell because it hits on every single aspect. Um, we can control, so we we take this big laser, we we make it uniform, we then apply a pattern to it. So imagine like we've applied a, a pixel map to it, except there's no gaps between pixels. It's just we can modulate these pixel regions effectively. Um, and we can control them not just on or off, but we can control them grayscale. And it's not just you know, onto a certain, you know, intensity level for the duration of the exposure, but we can actually change the shape of the pulse during the exposure. So this means that we can control the heating time and the cooling time for every pixel in every exposure without slowing down. Ooh. And that means you have a phenomenal ability to, to control the material properties while you're printing without giving up print speed, which is the trade-off you have to make today. 
And is your idea to just like to modulate that all the time based on like parameters or based on the powder you see or based on like an in layer quality control or Yes. Yes. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> um but you know the uh the, the different you know different materials okay. are gonna have different intensities yeah, yeah. and different geometries are gonna have different features, right? So if you have an overhang you need a lower intensity. So right. as you go to as you go out over the you know, away from the bulk of the part, your intensity is going to lower. So you'll dial down the intensity. When we're printing a tile, the, you know, that's what we call one of these areas, you know, the perimeter needs to be a little bit higher intensity than the middle, just because of balancing the thermal environment. So there's, you know, if we, when you optimize everything. So the, you know, there's, there's sort of like uh, sub-modules you can apply to this to say, in these different scenarios, do these things, right? And then repeat those sub-modules across the entire part and, you know, you've effectively broken down the problem uh, so you're not having to, like, look at, think about, and control every pixel. That's crazy because there's 2.3 million pixels per tile and there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of tiles per print. Yeah, but I love that idea just also for just regular powder diffusion, also for other technologies of saying for every single shape, there's an optimal either extrusion speed on the FDM or there's an optimal temperature, there's an optimal kind of uh, uh, beam intensity or beam offset or whatever. And then we can just, like, calculate this and we can just, like, repeating it rather than trying to come up with a support strategy for every single uh part you know right and so doing overhangs right means you in theory can get rid of supports mm. right and managing your thermal environment correctly means you don't need, you know there's two main reasons why you want support right managing the thermal environment and uh you, you know you have big thermal heat sinks and stuff as well as you know holding your part in place um and controlling those different you know tough to print features if you can mitigate those, you just reduce the amount of time it takes to cut your part off the build plate incredibly. And we've already seen some instances of where even in traditional LPBF, you have completely floating parts. Oh, so totally. E-beam definitely, E-beam does a lot of that. You know, it's, right? it saves a ton of time. On, on, uh, on, but that, they do that on, well, it depends. In a manufacturing environment, if you're making the same thing all the time, that's really amazingly advantageous. Like in the service bureau, not so much. But I guess if we're talking serial manufacturing, like, uh, yeah, it's really cool, especially if it's tape. You know, if it's a self-supporting half dome, we love it, right? <laughs> Does it look like an acetabular cup? Because, yo, we're game. But, um, you know, so I think definitely that that could be very exciting. That's also, you know, leads into a little bit of the markets that we're focusing on. Um, I, was, I was literally about to ask you, where are you in the market aspect of this? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is the uh, the traditional players have their needs mostly satisfied, meaning, right. you know, medical aerospace and such. Um, they also have relatively long qualification timelines for lots of parts. So if they're already satisfied, they have a, there's, it's, it's hard to break in. Why are they going to switch? Right. And so we're kind of seeing a little bit of a lag there where they're saying, Hey, show me, right. I, I want to see you guys, you know, do it, do it on your own, but we're not going to help you. We are already good on our, on our end. So the folks who are, you know, engaging with us right now are those who are hungry, right. Those who are, you know, are not being served, on this and that's frankly the automotive consumer electronics and to some extent the energy industries and we're looking at you know what we see when we look at the economics of these machines is a way to get to price points that are suitable for mass manufacturing and mass manufacturing of you know engineering parts is just not something that is really accessible to the additive manufacturing industry right now at that scale and we're showing them how you get there 
for that are you looking at a stage of customer or for like a, a vertical or a vertical and a stage or are you just looking like you know what, what are you looking at specifically for types of customers yeah so you know it's interesting you know we have our current first gen one machine that is incredibly competitive against additive machines that exist today um that's great right it wins on added many additive applications um that we see right now it's much 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 faster as well um when we look out into where we're going next, we see that the Gen 2 machines are huge competitors with casting. And we've had customers say to us, hey, we'd replace 50% of every part we make with your technology because of the price points that you're hitting and the quality levels. So that's, you know, essentially there's the, the now engagement and then there's, okay, where do we go next? And we can map out essentially a seamless path to go down you know drop down that curve that cost per kilo curve and how do you get to high volume productions at costs that are economical for mass manufacturing i'm oh, sorry i, I want to understand this because i i do casting um you're suggesting that you have a technology that is a competitive to casting price wise oh yeah yeah absolutely okay. I mean, it's going to be a while before we're competitive to something like forging, but you know, we can map out how this technology can get to price points for steel as an example to, yeah. you know, in the limit, you know, and we're, we're talking about fully integrated part cost. This is the, you know, post-processing, this is machine amortization and service. This is the feedstocks and consumables to less than $10 a kilo. Wow. That's that's yeah. a, that, that covers a lot of different manufacturing processes. It does. It's, it's, it's going to take a while to get there, right? Right, you know, right. We can't just jump uh, multiple machine iterations uh, to make that happen. But, um, you know, our next-gen machine, we're targeting around, you know, $150 a kilo. Uh, and so, you know, it's going to depend on the part geometry and such. Uh, some are going to be better, some are not. Um, but that's that's where we're starting to hit the sweet spot of, you know, competing with a lot of casting applications. and the connect the dots between those two um there's a couple generations of machines in there but that's kind of what we see and what's exciting about the scalability of these systems because they allow you to take advantage of the you know essentially the economics of scale that we have in scaling the biggest cost component of our system which is the laser so, and, and your go-to-market right now is like are you doing this as a service and you hope to sell the machine or how does this work yeah we're, we're looking to essentially sell uh parts to customers so first we work with them to Oh, okay. uh, qualify our machine, qualify our their parts on our machines. This is what we call our area printing production program or app program. And so we've so far gotten seven uh, large OEMs uh, to give us letters of intent to say they're interested. We've got our first two customers on track to start here in you know the beginning here of 2022, and with their programs. And you know, big surprise, we're qualifying some very standard materials, and we're working with them on their parts. Uh, and it's it's going to be exciting. And does that mean like okay? So that process, I like the I like the idea that you're not f focusing on just the same people that everyone's focusing on. I think that's a really smart way to get a lot of like so many news attention to get them to really scale with you and 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 to really grow with you as well, rather than being one of the six suppliers that's trying to woo them. So I think that's really nice. And 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 you know, but what kind of customers are ideal in terms of like is there an ideal geometry or is there an ideal kind of like you know, the kind of customer for you that like, if you'd be looking for new customers like this, like who are we talking about specifically or like, or what kind of parts are we talking about specifically? The way to think, especially for our, in our later gem machines, we've got some innovative tricks up our sleeves to do what we call light repartitioning or light recycling. 
Um, and this kind of gets to how we pattern our light. Um, the most efficient designs that we're going to be working with are ones that have, you know, that fill a large portion of every tile that we print, right? So think of it like this, you know, you, you take a, a layer in a print, right? You're all familiar with the sort of a, a layer there, right? Mm -hmm. Now divide that up into essentially tile that, right? Divide it up into tiles, right? So you've got these square tiles that are throughout it in a grid. Um, just imagine a simple grid for now. And everywhere that that tile has a part in it, you got to print that tile. And in that tile, there are some pixels that are going to be on and there's some pixels that are going to be off. Well, all the pixels that are off means they're going to a water cool beam dump and not to your part. So that means you're losing efficiency. So in the Gen 1 machine, there is an optimization to say, have your parts, don't have, you know, lots of little spindly features in your parts, have them be, you know, roughly the size of the tile, which depending on the machine is about five to 10 millimeters. Um, now that's not like a, a strict rule anywhere, but that's just a, you know, if I was to give a, the most general of guidelines, you know, we can have incredibly high resolution, like six to 10 micron features, but you know, if the part is more, and this kind of goes into, hey, casting replacement is a great application for us because it's already kind of meeting those needs, right? So machining and casting replacements are kind of where we're starting, right? We have the ability to have really tight tolerances, really high surface finish, right? We, you asked about the benefits and we hit on like one of them, right? But there's, you know, have tighter tolerances. There's control over your uh, crystal structure, grain orientation, your surface finish, you know, reduction of support structure, all that fun stuff, in addition to, um, you know, the economics and the scalability um, of it. So that's, uh, th there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so we're, we're sort of peeling the onion. And then, so uh, in the long run, you hope to be doing more materials, obviously. So, and I'm asking, like right now, I, we cast um, gears out of like zinc um, because it just happens to be more cost effective. Um, in could you foresee something of that nature, being able to like use a zinc or a, or some other material of a similar cost structure to produce, say, gears? And obviously, the resolution is there. It's right, a laser. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, absolutely, just, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, we see any material that can melt is going to be a candidate here. So whether you're talking metals, plastics, glass, ceramic. Um, yeah, that's that's all sort of on the table there. Wow. But okay, so I think this is really exciting. I like that you're working with customers. I think the service model is the best go to market essentially because it helps you develop the proposition and and, and and print make the parts like people want them to. And it keeps you to deadlines. It keeps you instead of you spending your time making machine in isolation, you're essentially you keep having to approve to deliver that part, you know? Um but it does like kind of strike me that you're gonna need an awful lot of money to make this happen. Like I mean, like hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Or oh, that, that's that's probably lowballing it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it, Thank it, you for being honest. <laughs> yeah, no, hey, that's cool. So yeah. I'm assuming you're pre-revenue. <laughs> we, we, we are pre-revenue. You know, I mean, there's obviously there's there's aspects of scale here, right? Um, right. You right. know, it's a it getting these machines are not cheap. Uh, they right. are very productive though, and. The thing is, you qualify these parts for these customers. These customers have large volumes. You get a commitment from a large volume customer. That's something you can finance um, through traditional banking and financing methods very effectively. 
And so yeah. it's about qualifying the parts, getting that commitment, and then financing the build out of those factories to make that happen, that allow that to, to essentially to, to go forward quickly, right? And that way we don't have to use, you know, our harder venture dollars to, to pay for that build out. Oh, cool. So wait, are you profitable or you're still? At the moment, we are still pre-revenue. Right. So you are, oh, you are totally pre-revenue. I was joking. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to, sorry. But you are servicing customers right now, or you're looking at servicing customers. Yeah, we're, we're doing some initial engagements with customers. Um, right. But, you know, a lot, a lot of it is, a lot of it is early essentially stage. getting early stage to get them signed up for our app programs, which have wow. not yet started, but coming soon. Cool. And how does the path look towards you? So you're servicing, you want to service these initial customers, hopefully make them happy with 360L, right? Or whatever and the material happens to be within reason, um, you know, and according to the limitations of local fire departments and the facility we have. But yes, <laughs> we'll go on. I like magnesium. Do you like magnesium? <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's, let's not talk about magnesium. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so... Um, and then, and then what, what do you see happening after that? What, what do you hope to do after that? Yeah, so essentially we have the, the qualification, right? Depending on the part, depending on the material, you know, that's that's around the lines of, you know, a couple of years, two to three uh, or more, depending on how long the qualification cycle is. Um, essentially, then there's, there's a progression to saying, hey, we've, you know, you're making success qualifying the part, going through all the rigors of testing that part needs to go through, depending on its application, right? And it's really important to know the, it's not just the material for the customer, it's the material and the application because that part has to do certain things. It might need to be in a corrosive environment. It might need, might need to have a ton of fatigue. These That sort of testing has a huge impact on the cycle to qualify it, right? So you need to know both to really make the right decision about what are the first early parts that you're wanting to qualify. Um, and then essentially there's you know, you, you look into agreements that we say we're going to do long-term uh, supply agreements to produce these parts for you. And, you know, as we were able to, to move to, uh, you know, as we're able to move to future generations of machines, this is how we're going to progress. But you're going to keep it all in-house, so to speak, uh, people coming to you, you have the facility, you ship them the part. Yeah. So this gets into the whole print depot kind of concept. So we're yeah. setting up our printers in, let's say, a factory setting, which we have called a print depot. Let's imagine there's like 32 uh, printers uh, per depot. And you essentially, we, our first one's going to be deployed locally here in the Boston area. But then we'll be essentially putting them near large OEM sites, uh, near distribution hubs, distributed globally. Uh, you know, this is sort of like one sure. of the promises of additive manufacturing, right? You don't need to ship parts all around the world, right? You can reinvent the supply chain as we know it today. Um, and you, you know, you're not going to have, let's say, these factories are relatively large. You're not going to have one in everyone's backyard for every OEM to, uh, necessarily, but you might have them located, you know, uh, you know, one in the New England area, one in, right. you know, the south of Germany or Detroit, something, right? Something. You know, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, they're going to be spaced every so often. Um, and the more productive, the bigger the lots that you ship to customers, that actually allows them to be spaced further apart, right? Because you get economies for shipping. Um, it's not mm -hmm. very economical to ship one part at a time rather than batching it. So there's a nice balance that you get there. Um, but that means you're essentially, the goal is that you're really shipping well, maybe you don't even ship powder around, right? You look at where these machines go. You know, we look at our, you know, the machine that prints parts for, you know, let's say $25 a kilo, right? 
you know, somewhere not right. quite the limit, but you know, some very tasty number. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, one point seven, one thousand seven hundred uh, kilos an hour print rate. Um, a factory of those machines would be about a third of a gigawatt, and you're using well, you end up using an absurd amount of powder a year. So you might need to consider having powder production actually on site. Um, it just and you'd probably be sited near or very close to a power plant. You know, a third of a gigawatt is is substantial. A lot of power. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's you know, but with great power, right? Uh, comes <laughs> comes great productivity. Um, <laughs> you did. You did. You did. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's good. Uh, that's a good uh, sales line. <laughs> okay, okay. And, and what are you looking for right now as a company? I mean, what do you hope to achieve in the last, next five years? You kind of given us an idea of where you want to go with this kind of this depot model, if you will. What do you hope to achieve of that in the next five years? Do you expect that to take five years, or do you expect to, to be able to do a lot more? Yeah, I mean, we should in the next five years. Our goal is to be well in the way with having multiple depots being uh, being deployed. Um, servicing multiple customers and uh yeah many many customers actually by that point right we're we're targeting you know our first two are starting here in the early part of the year um we're looking to bring a couple more on here by the end of the year uh and then it grows with our machine capacity and our ability you know right now we're limited at some level by machine capacity right it takes people time it takes machine time to qualify these parts we have one machine today right we'll have another one here coming through you know getting close to the end of the year and then um another one after that and you know it grows quickly um from there but it's it's taken a while you know there's uh this is not easy tech there's been a lot of of things that we've needed to learn along the way Mm. to get to where we are now and while that's great, it means lots of barriers to entry for people following in our footsteps. Um, we've learned a lot in the process, and it also means that you know where where we started, right? You know, go back to the beginning of our conversation where we thought we were going to use diode lasers to illuminate the whole bed, right? Um, you know, we end up having to build our own diode pump solid state lasers. The one that exi- ones exist out there today just don't do it for us. Not that they're they're not high enough energy. That's one factor, but they don't have the high enough level of control that allows us to do all this time dependent control that we have. Um, we actually need it and there's benefits for it. It's a, it's, it's twofold, right? So they were just the stuff that existed on the market was just so far in left field, um, that it was not usable. So we had to build our own, right? So we build our own lasers, we build our own patterning devices, um, to get to this point, you know, it takes a lot of work, right? But if it's uh, if something was easy, you know, everyone would be doing it. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But hey, this is really illuminating. I think James, you you really got your work cut out for you. Uh, this is going to be a really huge challenge, I think. But it's going to be like incredible if you guys pull this off. It's going to be really amazing. So uh, I wish you a ton of luck with that, and it's going to yeah, it's going to really change a lot of things. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. And uh, Max, thank you for being here today as well. No, always. This was a fascinating one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, thank you for listening. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 
3dprint.com.